sometimes I get this this like crisis of confidence uh, where I like listen back to our episodes, particularly the ones that are very personal. And I think, <laughs> why would anyone do that? Uh, why uh, do we feel like it's it's of interest to anyone else? Do we have <laughs> offhand? Could you answer that question? <laughs> <laughs> No, Marcy Altbauer likes it. <laughs> you mean why? Why? Why have we? Why have we acted as if the cancer of Debbie Gallant is a matter of urgent importance? Right. Well, I guess the theory is <laughs> that so many people have it, and nobody, you know, tells it like this, right? I mean that that you know, mostly cancer is a. You know, it used to be a, a huge secret. People didn't even talk about it at all, and um, now less so. But still, it's all wrapped in these cliches, you know. I mean, even though there's awareness and walking and heroes and bright pink, you know, this is how much do you see, you know, that gets beyond the stereotypes and the cliches? Okay, yeah, I like that. Um,. It's more akin to memoir, maybe, than journalism. Mm -hmm. um, there's all these things that I still, I mean, maybe this is just for me, but, you know, I still get amused when I listen to myself um, loopy after that surgery. And um, there's so much that you would lose, and I don't know, maybe you should. Maybe it would be better to have this all go into amnesia. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. In any story, you have a hero, and they're called into a world they don't want to be called into, always. And there's a resistance, and then they go into the world, and they have allies and challenges. They have, you know, they have people who whisper truths into their ears, and um, and then, you know, they they fight the demons, they fight the enemies and Darth Vader or whatever it is, and then they come back, and they they return to the it, they return to the world and with what it's called the you know the elixir of truth or something like that and so you know that's what this is that's what any story is that's why it's, we might as well say why do we have fiction why do we write why do we read about make-believe people right. and their make-believe problems <laughs> right sure okay that's a good answer that makes me feel better <laughs> <laughs> i wanted to know that you could do it off the top of your head <laughs> any other tests you're listening to The Chemo Files. I'm Debbie Gallant. A little over a month ago, I graduated from chemotherapy. On graduation day, the last infusion, I went in without my wig so that friends and nurses could sign my bald head like it was a cast. I was feeling a little punchy. I even tried to get my oncologist, Dr. Scapatulo, to sign. Can you sign my head? Yeah, You're not going to. Too, too much dignity. <laughs> so what do I get from graduation? Do I get... Okay, so he wouldn't sign my head. He's not so much the touchy-feely type. Still, I suspect he likes us and that he'll miss the podcast crew. By the way, I'm pretty sure he's never listened to the chemo files. If he has, he hasn't mentioned it. I can't even say for certain if he knows what a podcast is, but he's been a good sport. 
For months, he's let us stick a mic in his face and ask him about things he said in the past, the way you might question a politician. He's indulged us, and here we are. One last press conference. Chemotherapy, hopefully we bring that up to closer to 80%. 80%. 85. Um, sometimes I'm not sure what the difference is between the rate of recurrence and the rate of survival. Oh, right. Is it 80% survival? Or that's about uh, no recurrence. recurrence. Right. Oh, okay. Oh, so, so you would high. estimate the survival is being slightly higher because, because some people who you recur can treat live. Yeah. Right. But any recurrence somewhere, I mean, would that mean it was a metastasis? Yes. And that would be inherently tougher to treat than the first cancer? I mean... Yes, again, and metastasis, when that occurs in, in breast cancer, it usually means that the disease is not curable. It's treatable, but not curable. Huh. And that's the purpose of doing all this treatment now, is to cure the disease. But once it recurs and comes back, and let's say the liver, lung, bones and it becomes an incurable situation. Really? Graduation, right? Only it's like you're just about to accept your diploma, and right at that moment, the dean tells you there's a 20% chance your degree is invalid. Still, graduation isn't graduation without at least a little party. And that's how we kept it, very small, so as not to anger the cancer gods. Just the few people who'd taken me to chemo, brownies and pizza, in the infusion room. Everybody else wants pizza. I feel like I'm, I'm in the princess chair. Somebody take a picture, I can't see it. What does she do? She must have done a good job. Graduation. It's a time to celebrate. But when the party ends, you're marching off into the unknown. And that's the thing I've heard over and over from other cancer patients. Chemo may not be the hardest part about cancer. With chemo, there's structure. Friends wanting to support you, nurses around every corner, and even the side effects. They keep your mind occupied so you don't think so much about life and death. But after chemo, getting reassurance is like trying to prove a negative. For the rest of your life, you're waiting for something yes, not to happen. Because you're the one, you haven't even gone back to the doctor yet when they've told you, hey, sorry, we'll see you in six months. <laughs> and then you're like, what? You know, you, you don't know yet. Because you haven't gone through the what the hell just happened to me stage. Molly McDonald started the Pink Fund, a charity that helps women who go broke because of breast cancer. I met her at the Encore Conference in San Francisco in early February. If someone described it, I'm on a train, and the doors open and close, and I just get off when they open, and I get back on, and they close, and I'm just, wherever the train goes, I'm going. Somebody described that to me. So now you're off the train, right? So where do you go? Right. And I think it's a time of reflection. Um, you can't rush it. So you know, talk about Still, breathing. the end of chemo meant I could fly. Before San Francisco, I squeezed in a visit to my parents in Florida, a long overdue trip. While I was there, Dad took us all to the racetrack, where he's gone almost every Saturday for 20 years. 13. 13. One or nine. One or nine. Five. Nine. Look how close nine was. My brother joined us and settled down with my dad and a track buddy to play some bets. Mark didn't want to be recorded, but 
After the last race, I twisted his arm. No, she's going to interview me. That's what she was. That's what, ask me the question before right. you turn it on. What are you going to ask me? Yeah, it's already on. That's I'm going to ask you. Okay. You are somebody who's who's made your living on odds, right? I asked you last week about the odds that I have of cancer coming back. Do you remember what you said? Yeah. Well, pretty much I did. Yeah. Basically, you shouldn't worry because if it doesn't come back, and that's the highest likelihood, over 80%, then all this worrying that you're doing isn't going to do you any good. So why bother and stress yourself from worrying? And if it does come back, then the worrying didn't help either. <laughs> so once again, there's no real reason to uh, to worry. Just try to you know uh, live life and be happy. And this from easier, some easier said than, than done though. But uh, still, if you can do it, that's what you should do. And and you would do the same. Yeah, I'd go golfing and I wouldn't worry about it. <laughs> I definitely. Uh, In other words, it's going to be a mental game. I can live the rest of my life, however long that might be, filled with worry, or I can choose not to. Are people supposed to get back to normal after cancer? I've been thinking about that a lot. That's what I'm supposed to do now, right? But it hardly seems possible, because normal, back when I had an unblemished record of luck, had been a state of unconsciousness, an endless Google calendar filled with appointments, meetings, deadlines, the occasional party, and the implicit assumption of an infinite supply of future in which to schedule more stuff. Cancer destroys that illusion, and oddly, that's a gift. So I'm on my way to work. About a month ago, I gave my notice at work my last day is on Friday. It feels a bit like jumping off a cliff. And, and maybe I will ruin our family financially. Um, and maybe not. I've been agonizing over this decision for months, hoping, as I have all my life when things weren't working out exactly as I'd planned, that a perfect exit strategy would reveal itself eventually. Now, I don't take much stock in eventually. And I don't take much stock in perfect either. I've had a lot of crappy choices to make. You never get everything. You just have to choose. So I chose the thing I've known since I was a kid. I was put on this earth to write. I'm good at it. It's in the blood. Doing this podcast, it feels like the best work I've ever done. But it's been hard. For the past six months, I've crammed the podcast in between chemo and a full-time job. Now, as it turns out, all three are ending. Back at the beginning, even before Noah had the idea of doing this podcast, I wrote a blog post about the first 48 hours of having cancer. I hesitated to hit publish. I felt I was breaking a taboo. What I learned, though, was how many people loved me and how many people had been through the same thing. Instead of feeling isolated, which is pretty common with cancer, I felt embraced. And that's gotten me through this. I don't know if you can hear it, but Noah and I, we take a really long time putting this podcast together. We go through hours of tape to boil it down into a 20-minute episode. Noah's constantly getting me to think critically about my own experience. Is that what happened? Is that how you really felt? We started this podcast on a whim. I envisioned sitting around smoking medical marijuana with my friends and running a mic. But it turned into more. A story. Looking at my own case like a journalist, that editorial distance, 
That's given me perspective and power. When I hold up the mic in the doctor's office, I don't feel like a helpless patient. But as we've come to the end of chemo, I've been wondering if it's really healthy for me to hold on to this identity, to let cancer define me. And so I'm moving on. Because I feel like I have lots of stories to tell. Mine, others, things that happened a long time ago, things that haven't happened yet. If I'm lucky, this cancer story won't be the whole book, just a chapter. A lot of writers hate the blank page. But me? I'm pretty relieved to see it. I've got nothing but time. This episode was produced by Noah, who also mixed the show and wrote the music. Thanks to my brother Mark and to Molly McDonald, as well as all of the experts, friends, and cancer sisters who've lent us their voices and wisdom over the past six months. We've gotten a lot of help along the way. My husband Warren edited the earlier episodes. We also got musical contributions from composer Evan Schwartzman, and Joe M. Ditas made our logo. NJ Spotlight ran our entire series in December, and podcasters Richard Davies and Matthew Passy both ran episodes about the chemophiles on their own shows. Thanks to Dr. Scapatulo, Deal, Schmidt, and NoWiki for, you know, saving my life and to nurses everywhere. A sincere thank you to every person who's listened to The Chemo Files for showing me how large a network of love and support I've been blessed with.